As we are entering into uh, the epicenter of the work of redemption and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ when he hung on the cross, we come to that time when we celebrate in the life of the church the Passion Week of our Lord Jesus. And tonight, especially, we are looking at what is uh, been termed Monday Thursday. It is the time when the Lord Jesus has taken his disciples up into the upper room as he has already had his soul weighed down with sorrow, knowing what he was going to have to do in order to redeem a people out of every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. And as he is heading to Calvary, he takes his disciples into that upper room where they will celebrate the Passover together and where he will give them that great commandment that as he has loved them, they are to love one another. And as we consider that very important teaching of our Lord Jesus, I want to read to us the well-known account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet in that great symbolic act in which he is showing them what he is going to do for them in just a very short amount of time. Here in John's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, And taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one 
who sent me. Our Lord Jesus has taken his uh, 12 disciples into the upper room where he's going to give them the final instruction and, and in many respects the most important teaching that he gives them prior to him going to the cross to lay down his life for them. And everything that we read about in John 13 through 17 and what he teaches there in the upper room in chapters 13 through 16, he then prays back to his father as the high priest of his people in chapter 17, and then he proceeds to march triumphantly to Calvary where he's going to be nailed to the tree and atone for the sins of his people. And here at the outset of Jesus's Uh, teaching to the disciples in the upper room, we are told very significantly that this occurred at the time of the feast of the Passover. Now, uh, Jesus is going to act out for his disciples in his service in the foot washing, what he is going to do spiritually for them on the cross. And so it's fitting that all of this is happening at the time of the Passover, the time when he is going to suffer. And there are layers of things that Jesus is going to symbolically teach his disciples. In the Old Testament, it was common for uh, the prophets. We see this in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where God had given them a particular message, oftentimes a message of judgment. And they were to act out in parabolic form for the Israelites what God was telling them in words so that the word of God and, and especially the prophecies of the judgment that God's people deserve for their rebellion would be visibly seen in the act of the prophet. Well, here, Jesus as the great prophet, as the prophet to whom all the prophets pointed, the great prophet of the church, the one who, as he said, came from God and was going back to God, is acting out in symbolic form in the upper room really three things. He is giving them the symbolism of the Passover, which is denoting the sprinkling of the blood shed of the lamb that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament for the passing over of the judgment that God's people deserved. He is then also going to give them this act that we're looking at now with the foot washing and all that that symbolizes both about him and also about his work in and through his people. And then he will give them the Lord's Supper, which is the great new covenant sacrament in which he is symbolizing, again, what he is going to do at the cross. All three of those symbols are pointing to his atoning work at Calvary so that all of the focus is pushing in on who Jesus is and what he came into the world to do. But here as we look at the act of the foot washing in particular, we we see something very interesting. There are three things that Jesus is doing in this particular symbolic parable that he is acting out for his disciples. He is first teaching them what he came to do for them. He is then teaching them what he came to do in them. And then he is coming to teach them what he is going to do through them, what he is doing for them, what he is doing in them, and then what he is going to do through them. Well, very quickly, I want us to notice uh, first that Jesus is acting out what he came to do for his disciples. As we've already noted, the feast of the Passover was pointing forward to him who is the Lamb of God, who is the one who would shed his blood so that the judgment that we deserve would be removed, he taking that judgment so that his people would be set free. And notice that John gives us one of the greatest verses in the Bible. 
Here in John 13, uh, verse 1, notice Jesus, knowing that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is one of those verses where we need to put our name into that verse, where I should be able to read this as saying, having loved me who was in the world, he loved me to the end. Martin Luther used to say that the whole of Christianity was bound up in us taking the personal pronouns of the gospel to ourselves. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Christ came into the world for the love that he had for his people. Uh, Augustine once famously said, the cross was his pulpit and the message was love. The Apostle John is telling us that at the very beginning of this. And then there is the act of him uh, going from exaltation to humiliation and back to exaltation. The flow of the foot washing follows that structure. He rises. He takes the towel with which he's girded. He then goes low. He stoops and goes all the way down to wash the dirty feet of the disciples, the feet that were polluted with the Palestinian dirt and dust. And yet beyond that, it was an act that he was going down to wash their polluted hearts. He was going down to the very place of their uncleanness and their filth and where they needed to be cleansed the most. And then as he completes this act, he rises and he girds himself again with the towel and he sits back down and it is a picture, isn't it, of what the Apostle Paul shows us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where he was in the form of God, but he did not consider it equality a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant, a bondservant. He humbled himself. He was found in appearance as a man, and he was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And so Jesus is teaching the disciples in real time in this symbolic act, what he was coming to do for them. He highlights this when Peter, as Peter is so often apt to do with Jesus, pushes back against what Jesus is saying. If we were one of the disciples in the upper room, no doubt we would uh, think uh, this teaching is repulsive to us. This is the one we followed. This is the great redeemer. This is the Christ. This is the son of God. We've given up everything. And now he's saying he is going to wash our feet, that he is going to have to stoop beneath us, as it were, to serve us. And Peter asks him, do you wash my feet? Jesus says, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you will later. And then Peter, in Peter-like fashion, in verse 8, says, you shall never wash my feet. Um, uh, the lesson that Jesus is teaching the disciples and is teaching us is that we must be in a posture where we want him to wash us. Jesus answers Peter and says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That is the essence of Christianity. I need Jesus to wash me in order to take part in him. I need him to serve me. Christianity is not first and foremost who I'm serving, what I'm doing. Uh, so many people envision Christianity in those terms. I'm not doing enough. I'm not serving enough. If I 
maybe got involved in this, and Jesus would have all those things fade into the background, and he would have us uh, tonight understand that we must have him wash us with his precious blood. We need him to wash away the filth of our hearts. We need him to sprinkle our consciences with his blood from dead works to serve the living and the true God. That is the essence of what Jesus is teaching about what he's doing for us. But then he is teaching the disciples and us uh, that he is doing something in us. If you're a believer, Jesus Christ is working his will in you. He's working his word in you. He is working by his spirit in you. Um, When the Apostle Paul comes to talk about the hope of the Christian, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he speaks of God forming Christ in the believer, that Jesus indwells the believer, that he continues to work out having already cleansed his disciples. He goes further and he gives a second cleansing. Notice when Peter pushes back and Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you'll have no part with me. Then Peter goes to the other extreme and says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He doesn't yet understand that There is a definitive cleansing. There is a justification, a once-for-all act, whereby Jesus washes away all of our sins. He removes all of our transgressions. And yet, uh, in Peter's uh, unintended, ignorant comment, Jesus takes opportunity to teach him in verse 10 that the one who has bathed needs not wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Jesus is teaching that there is a continual need for cleansing, that, that in the Christian life we are being sanctified by the same gospel, by the same sacrifice of Christ, by the same blood of Christ, by the spirit of Christ, that every day of our life we are needing Jesus to cleanse us. And if we are truly Christians, we feel that deeply. We long for that. We long for the Savior to give us that that second washing, that second cleansing, that renewal that we constantly need going back to him in brokenness over our sins, going back to him in confession, and yet knowing that he is committed to washing us and restoring us and cleansing us. There is perhaps an illustration here in the two cleansings of the temple in the gospel records where Jesus seems to have cleansed the temple twice, and there have been writers that have pointed out that serves as an illustration that He cleanses us once judicially and legally in justification, and then he continues to cleanse and purify the residues and the remnant of sin and corruption that remain within us. Our Savior is a sufficient Savior from beginning to end in providing that washing and that cleansing and that renewal internally for us in our sanctification. And then, And perhaps now, most significantly throughout the rest of this passage, Jesus is teaching what he is going to do through us. He takes this opportunity now to tell the disciples, if I have done this to you, you also ought to do this to one another. Now, Jesus is not saying that we ought to have a sacrament of foot washing. He is not saying that the the main thing that he is doing is, is teaching us to go out and physically wash people's feet. He has given a physical symbol and parable of a spiritual reality, and he is instructing his disciples, as they are about to be the apostles going out, carrying the gospel to the nations, 
that they are to wash the feet of the disciples. The ministers of the gospel particularly are called to minister spiritual, good, gospel teaching and ministry to the people of God continually for their cleansing and their well-being and their being built up in Christ. And yet there's a sense where this is broader than that. Jesus is teaching all of his disciples that we are to think about the spiritual good of one another. We are to be thinking about how to love and serve one another in order to build one another up in him, in order to help one another along in our sanctification and in our conformity to the image of Christ. How fitting, as our Lord Jesus is going to the cross, that he gives that new and great commandment, if I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. The heart of the Lord Jesus, while burdened with the agony of what he was going to have to endure for our redemption, was simultaneously fixated on equipping his disciples and you and me today to preeminently be interested in loving and caring for one another. Um, It's interesting, Simon Peter will miss what Jesus is saying, and as we read on into chapter 14, and he's heard Jesus say he's going to the Father and they can't come with him, he'll say, why can't we come with you? And Jesus again reiterates that I've given you this new commandment, that you love one another. How easy we miss that. And yet Jesus teaches in this chapter as well that the greatest evangelistic tool in the belt of Christians is that the world sees the love we have for one another. What an opportunity we have right now as... The world is reeling as questions are circulating, as people are groping for answers or trying to figure out how to prepare for the future. What what greater time than this for us to show the world that we really are Christ's disciples when they see the love that we have for one another that flows out of the love that he has for us that led him to the cross in our place to redeem us from our sin. I hope that as we continue on through this week, focusing our attention on the Lord Jesus and on his sufferings, this will be an encouragement to you and to me as we long to be back together again that we'll be remembering what Christ has done for us, what Christ is doing in us, and what the Lord Jesus calls us to be doing as he works through us in relationship with one another. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church.